This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. One of the biggest obstacles to the expansion of educational freedom and school choice programs is parents often don't know they're eligible, even for universal programs. Mark LeBlanc directs policy at EdChoice. We discuss the successes and remaining hurdles to delivering robust school choice to parents. 2021 became, uh, through some pretty unfortunate circumstances, uh, it became the year of school choice. Everybody was very frustrated in 2020 and 2021 about the, the well, of course, the pandemic and the, the disruptions that that caused. And in schooling, uh, young people, parents got their first real look inside uh, how education got done in that, again, very difficult circumstance where a lot of systems were not able to adapt easily. And uh, so it became the year of school choice. And I live in Kentucky. It was there was a there was major school choice uh, movement in Kentucky as well. Unfortunately, it's now dead. But for a lot of states, those were big moves. And uh, what's happened since then, really? So we all saw what happened in 2021. We all felt the frustration. You know, I had four kids in the school system. You've got kids in the school system. And my predecessor here at EdChoice, Jason Bedrick, widely reported on it as the year of educational choice. And so what we saw was West Virginia going nearly universal, Arizona going universal with their with their program. You know, and, and we thought at the time, you know, hey, this is this is big stuff. You know, maybe we've made it or maybe we've we've nearly made it. But 2023 is really blowing all watershed years out of the water. So I'd, I'd have to I'd have to call 2023 the year of universal choice. And the reason I do that, I say that, is because we've tracked all bills that were introduced this past legislation legislative session and all of the expansions and new programs. Seven states enacted new programs in 2023. And the interesting thing about those new programs, they're, they're mostly ESAs. You've got a tax credit scholarship in Nebraska and the refundable tax credit in Oklahoma. But four of those new programs are universal access for students. And nine states expanded existing programs in 2023, and three of those are universal. So all told, this legislative session, after it's all said and done, after the dust settles, so we've now got nine universal programs across the United States, 10 if you count Indiana. Indiana is near universal, and North Carolina could join the party very, very soon. All right. So uh, for, for many of those states, what are those universal programs? What do they look like broadly? And are there general similarities among them? There are. Um, the majority of these programs are education savings account programs, uh, which in case your listeners don't know, they probably do, but an education savings account is a flexible use account that allows parents to withdraw their children from a public district or a public charter school and receive a deposit of funds that they can use to authorize, to, um, you know, to, to unbundle and customize their child's education. So most of those are ESAs. You know, you've got some voucher programs. Ohio just went universal with their voucher program. And then there's Oklahoma, which I find very, very interesting, but Oklahoma's got universal access on their refundable tax credit as well. We're here at the State Policy Network, uh, and um, one of the obstacles that seems to have been very surprising to 
uh, people advocating for school choice uh, has been how few relatively families are aware that they are even eligible for programs that in many cases are universal. So that's that's been the challenge, absolutely, and it remains a challenge. So take a look at a state like Florida. Um, you know, you've got Step Up for Students managing the program there. Now everything's universal. The tax credit is now a, a universal tax credit ESA. The voucher is now a, a universal ESA. Everybody in Florida can have an, an education savings account. And the, the problem has been, you know, do people even know this program exists and other school choice options? Do people know those exist? Um, Florida's taking in 2,000 applications a week. They're, they're over, they're over 400,000 in terms of, so we're really approaching something like critical mass where, you know, you're going to have 20% or more potentially of Florida students exercising some private choice option. And so, uh, what does that look like in terms of the uptake? Like, what does that? What does the uptake actually look like in the in the initial few years of a program? And and you know, the the concern that I hear from a lot of people who are nervous about school choice is what kind of disruption those programs will bring to the traditional systems. So I have two answers for that. Traditionally, take up has been very very low. My colleague, Marty Lucan, has done all the work on this. It's it's typically well under 5%, closer to 1% in terms of, of the take-up. So you'll see, you know, in year one of a program, maybe 500, 1,000 kids, you know, and then a steady, steady climb, not an exponential climb, but a, but a, a steady climb. So in terms of the number of, of students, let's look at Arizona, for instance. Arizona tripled their participation from last year to this year alone. If you look nationally... There were 33,000 students, ESA students, in 2022, 93,000 ESA students in 2023, and that number will probably have similar growth next year with what we're seeing out of Iowa, out of Arizona, out of Florida. We're seeing, we're starting to see some exponential type growth in the take up of these programs. And and with respect to the concerns about disruption to the traditional systems. I mean, we see we see the competitive effects. We we catalog that in our one, two, threes of school choice uh, here at Ed Choice, and what we see is, by and large, the fiscal effects are positive because an ESA that a student is taking is typically less. It's you know ninety percent or some percentage of the state funding, uh, and due to the competitive effects, the the school is actually in a better position in the presence of choice. What about the laggards? Yeah, so let's take a look at um, Louisiana, right? Louisiana has um, Louisiana's vouchers. They've got charter schools, and they've got a system that's bogged down by, you know, heavy regulatory regime. They've got price controls. Um, they've got all kinds of requirements for standardized testing. So I, I think the answer is more freedom, more flexibility for parents. When we're designing these programs, we need to keep in mind you want it to be friendly for families and you want it to be friendly for schools and participants. And that's how you'll get a robust program that's going to benefit everybody. It's, I mean, it is customer facing, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the point of the program is that it should be simple to adopt. That is the point. And we, and we want this to be more free market and less government bureaucracy. I come to these events. I have these discussions about school choice. I get fired up about it. And uh, then I go home to Kentucky and the arguments are always uh we're spe we're special 
so this won't work. Uh, we are low income, so this won't work. We, uh, there are kids who will, it's, it's like the debate in all of these other states that happened 20 years ago and was settled is, is now occurring where I live. Right. I mean, so the we're special, everybody says that. Um, I would say, take a look at what's happened in Florida. Take a look at what's happened in Arizona. So in Florida, um, you've got tremendous NAEP growth in Florida. Uh, students with special needs in Florida, students with disabilities in Florida, they're outperforming an entire state of students without disabilities. So their NAEP scores, they're, they're outperforming an entire state. In Arizona, um, they're outpacing the entire country in terms of, in terms of academic growth. And in particular, you find all of those predictions about what's going to happen in rural areas. Uh, none of those have come to pass. In fact, it's the opposite. We, we see schools thriving and students thriving. Mark LeBlanc directs policy at EdChoice. We spoke in Chicago in August. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening. <laughs>